Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Amen and amen, amen. How are we guys? Welcome. Uh, my name is Arnaldo. Let me just get situated here. Uh, lead pastor here at uh, Anchor Southwest. It is a pleasure uh, to be here together. Let me just go ahead and take this away here. Okay. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. If we haven't met, uh, again, I'd love, I'd love to meet you personally afterwards. And I want to wish all the mothers here a, a really uh, special uh, Mother's Day and all those listening in as well. Last year, when we had Mother's Day, uh, we were in the middle of lockdown. And so you may not have been able to spend that time with uh, your mother. Uh, and we want to grieve those losses. And even throughout the year, um, we've lost mothers, we've lost grandmothers. And so I understand that this is a, a joyous time for us, but as the church, uh, we both rejoice and grieve. Now, I also understand that this could be a time of high anxiety uh, for some of us. Uh, we may be estranged from our mothers, uh, and so we want to be with you and, and to, to sit with you where, however you're experiencing this day. We don't want to assume uh, that all, all of these holidays uh, are experienced in, in the same way. As the body of Christ, we grow into our ability uh, to, in the same breath, rejoice, but also grieve with those who grieve. And so my deepest prayer for you, my deepest prayer this Mother's Day is this, that you would know, mother, uh, your worth, that you would know your dignity, that you would know your power, your royal status, that you would know that you are seen and you are loved and that you're rejoiced over, uh, that you would know that you don't need validation uh, from social media. We know you don't get your validation from your kids oftentimes. I've seen it. Uh, um, and so our validation and your validation comes from uh, being deeply loved by God and being seen and fully rejoiced over in him. And that you would see your value in your calling. And whether you're a stay-at-home mother or you've been called to juggle several pressures of work or study outside of the home, know that you are loved and appreciated. And so there are a couple things that we want to do to show our appreciation to you and our love to you. Uh, three things. One, Josh is going to come soon and he's going to be taking some professional family portraits for you. Uh, we know that sometimes you don't need another journal. You don't need another mug. Uh, you know, I think Catherine got like four mugs this morning, and so we don't need more of, the, more of those things, but we can, always, uh, we can always have more portraits. That's one way. Uh, another way is that we have a, a small special tea for you, uh, a small uh, more afternoon tea, rather, uh, for you in the back uh, to celebrate you. And the third way is that we're going to partner with, um, with an organization called uh, uh, Diamond Women. Uh, for 15 years, they have served the Australian community uh, with uh, unplanned pregnancies, and so not everyone uh, has the same story, and we want to partner with those who may be surprised by becoming a mother, who may not have the resources, and so uh, through ways of, of counseling, material support, and a program called Mum to Mum Mentorship, uh, Diamond Women has been partnering with women to, to help them along that journey of pregnancy into parenthood. And so those are the three ways that we want to uh, not, not only bless us, but bless um, our communities and our world uh, this Mother's Day. So as we do that, and as we approach God's word this afternoon, uh, let me pray, and then we're going to jump right into it. Father, we thank you 
again, for your goodness to us, we uh, thank you for, uh, for motherhood. We thank you for the ways uh, uh, that you, uh, Lord, are uh, portrayed even through the scriptures as, as a mother who gathers uh, her, her chicks. Um, and so we, we thank you that, Lord, you um, have given us uh, life uh, and you've given us breath. And we ask now that through that life and, the, and this breath that we would honor you. And I ask now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people and help me to remember the things that will be. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I had a wild Monday night last Monday, and uh, we ended up, I ended up with, with some friends going out for dinner, and then we went back uh, to my place, and, and it was about 11, 11 p.m. or so. I said, oh, let's watch a movie. And so we watched Interstellar. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like nearly three hours long, and it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It quickly jumped up into the top five. Now, phenomenal movie made in 2014, and it's a film about humanity's desperate struggle for survival. It's desperate struggle for survival. So our planet, planet Earth, at some point in the future is beyond repair. And so what NASA does, it sends out these galactic missionaries to find a new home for humanity. I don't want to ruin it for you, uh, but please, like, I'm going to try hard not to. Uh, but I also, I wondered, as we were watching, I wondered, like, does this happen? Is, have we done this before? And how, how do we look for other life on planets or uh, whether a planet's going to be habitable for humanity or not? And as I looked this up, I went to trusty Google, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but and at the risk of simplification... Uh, because there are a number of factors. This is what Google returns when I typed in, what do scientists look for so that we can live on other planets? And this is what returned. Scientists will look at the orbit of a planet and the distance of that orbit between wh where it is and uh, the distance to its planet star. So it'll look at that, but it'll also look at some properties of that planet star. And this is what it's looking for. If it's within a particular range then maybe, possibly, it'll be possible that there could be liquid water on the surface of the planet. And if they find liquid water on the surface of the planet, then maybe there is some hope that we as humans can habitat that particular planet. And so they found frozen water here and there, but if they find liquid water on the surface of a planet, bing, like that's, that's our next vacation spot right there. And it's hope. It's, it's a hope. It, throughout the movie, there's this longing, this hope for life, this hope for renewal, this hope for a sustained life to keep us going, to keep us alive. And movies like Interstellar, they work. They work because of the obvious state of our world today. It works. It makes sense to us. The ways that we have raped and ravaged this world, the, the ways that we destroy one another, the ways that we destroy one another through our economies, the way that we have destroyed and continue to do so our world, it makes sense. The divisions, the wars, the alienation, the abuse. The question that they were asking in the movie and the question that we ask often is what hope is there in the world? Is there, is there any hope in the world, the real world, the whole world, not just my world of sneakers and lattes, 
Like the real world, like when we, when we open up our eyes for just a moment and we get past the tabloids, we get past TMZ or we get past whatever it is that they are giving to us, like if we, we look at the world and what's happening in the entirety of the world is their hope. And it makes sense that we look elsewhere for life. It makes sense that we would want to escape and hit eject. And, and for NASA, if it would just find a bit of water on the surface of a planet, then there'd be some hope. And our text today is about the existence of the church itself. Jew and Gentiles, we spoke last week, together as the very hope of the world. And so to find a church, any church, in existence is like NASA finding water on the surface of a planet. There is hope, regardless of what we see. And this is the point. This is the point of this text today. The sheer existence, the fact of existence, the sheer existence of the church, even in its weakness, is a sign proclaiming the victory of God over the powers The church is a sign of hope, even in its smallness, even in its weakness. The church, the fact that it exists, period, is a sign of hope. And Paul helps us to wake up to this reality, wake up to this apocalypse, right? Remember, apocalypse means, you guys are going to get tired of this. Apocalypse means an unveiling, an uncovering. It's not talking about the end of the world. It's talking about an unveiling of who Jesus is. And he talks, he talks to us about this through this word, uh, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ. Now, this word, uh, we talked about this briefly a few weeks ago, uh, but this word mystery here comes from the Greek word mysterion, and it's going to be, it's going to come up on here. You, I put it up here, not because you can read it, but because it looks pretty. Uh, mysterion. Now, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we've decided to use the word mystery when it comes to translating this word mysterion. You can, you can easily see the links, mysterion, mystery, but this is why it's unfortunate. Because the word mysterion, the way Paul is using it, is almost exactly the opposite of what we mean by mystery. When we talk about mystery, we talk about a secret or a code that hasn't been solved yet. It's an uncracked code. One of my favorite shows as a kid was Scooby-Doo. Coincidentally, it's also my favorite ride at Movie World. Uh, uh, but Scooby-Doo, do you know the premise? Do you remember the premise if you were around for any length of time? Uh, a group of young adults or teens, I'm not sure where, what, like, you know, who, who they are. They, they, they've got this dog who's always got the munchies. And it, it's, a, it's, a weird, it's a weird world, right? But over and over, every single episode, they run into a mystery. They run into a problem. There's always a mystery to solve during the show. And at the end, it's usually someone that they've known all along, right? And so there's this apocalypse. There's this unveiling. And that's Mr. Smith all along who was dressed up as a ghost or a ghoul. And the point is that by the end of the show, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the mystery is solved. There is no more mystery. The case is closed. Everything's been revealed. Now, that is not what Paul means when he uses the word mysterion. For Paul, mystery means something that was once unsolved, but is now open. Leslie Newbegin, uh, missionary and theologian, he calls this the open secret. Where at one point, 
It was unknown, but now it is open for everyone to know. So the mystery of Christ is not so much something that we need to set any special knowledge to gain insight into. It is an open secret. And this is what the open secret is. Paul is so abundantly clear. Verse 6, read it with me. He says this about the open secret. He says, this is the mystery. This is the open secret. This is the open secret that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Messiah, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is the open secret? What is this mystery of Christ? It is this, that you as a non-Jew are a co-heir with Christ. That you as a Gentile, as a non-Jew, are a member of the body of Christ. That you as a non-Jew, as a Gentile, as someone, I want you to remember what we spoke about last week, someone who was outside of the covenant, someone who was an outsider now because of the blood of Jesus are co-possessors of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news. And this is the good news. The good news is that the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. And through his life and his death and his resurrection and enthronement, the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. And when we Gentiles, when we non-Jews give our faith, put our faith in Jesus, give our allegiance to Jesus, we are saved, we are rescued, as much rescued as any Jewish person who possessed these ancient promises. And this is a scandal it may not feel like a scandal to us, but this is what landed Paul in prison. And this is what the gospel produces. And this is why, this is why the sin of racism is so anti-gospel. And should have no place among us as the people of God. This is why it's ridiculous to claim that something like racism is not a gospel issue. It's not a gospel issue when we have this anemic version of the gospel that the gospel is about how I get saved and eject the world and go to heaven at some point after I die. Yes, absolutely, that is no gospel issue if that is your view of the gospel. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is good news of what Jesus has done, what God has done in Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection and enthronement. And last week we remembered that the cross does not just obliterate this, this alienation between us and God, but between us and us. The way that we relate to one another, the way that we treat one another is just a, as much of a gospel issue as anything else. Of course it's a gospel issue. Of course it's a good news issue. It's an issue that the cross came explicitly, explicitly to tear down. These walls of alienation that we build up against one another. The gospel addresses this because it's in the body of Christ that this wall was torn down. And so this open secret, this mystery, is that we're all one in Christ. And so as you look around, there's people of different colors, shades, ethnicities, socioeconomic status, nationalities, and all of those things are neutralized in the body of Christ. We'll get more into that in a minute. Particularly, Paul says here that he was given the grace to do two things. He says this, 
that he came to preach to the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that this is the mystery, this is the open secret that was hidden in God but is now revealed. And it's for this very reason all along that God had this planned. Come with me to verse 10 real quick. And this is why. So that... So that through, so all of this happened, right? This open mystery, these people being brought together in Christ, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This here is staggering that this church, this small, weak, frail church, is the mechanism by which God shows the powers and the principalities, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, his wisdom. Now, before we understand what Paul is saying here, we need to understand who the main characters in this story of redemption are. Most of us grew up on a steady diet of God, humanity, and Satan. And he may have some buddies that he, you know, that work for him. But the world of scripture is populated by more beings than just these. There's this unseen realm, this heavenly realm. Other translations will call it unseen. Uh, Our translation says heavenly. This heavenly realm that is unseen to us now until we have the apocalypse where God rules in that realm through other spiritual beings. And then there is this seen realm that we populate, that we live in, our universe, where God rules through humanity, through his physical created beings, his, what Genesis calls his image bearers. Now, we know in Genesis 3 that his image bearers have fallen. We've fallen well below what God had for us. But in the same way, through scripture, we read of times where these heavenly beings also fell, where there were also fallen creatures who are spiritual beings in genesis 3 genesis 6 and so we have these spiritual beings now that populate the world that are bent hell bent on undoing all the goodness of god spiritual beings that are bent on the destruction of god's plan to rule the earth through humanity and there's this strange little section in the book of deuteronomy Deuteronomy 32, where uh, it's a poem, it's a song, and the, the song talks about the way that God gave over the nations to these spiritual beings. And so there are heavenly beings that are fallen that control and have authority over the nations. And it's these same beings that have been driving much of the chaos in the world through division and war. You remember, you remember Genesis 10, where there are uh, people who want to get together to build a a tower up to heaven, the Tower of Babel. And then they were dispersed. There was division. And the primary goal of these spiritual beings that are now having authority over these nations is this, strife, enmity, division, anything that goes against God's desire and plan to unite all things unto himself. That's the world of scripture. That's the world of Paul. And so what does the cross do? It neutralizes everything that the flesh, the world, and the devil uses to divide us, to split us into classes, 
And so the church is the one place in the universe where your gender does not define your worth. The church is the place where your social class does not define your worth. The church is the place where your ethnicity does not define your worth. The church is the place where your bank account does not define your worth. The church is the place where who you know, who you can name drop in this conversation does not define your worth. The church is the place where your looks do not define your your worth. Your ATAR, your HSC, your profession, your postcode, all of these things are neutralized at the cross. Every single one. And as you enter into this assembly of God, there is neither Greek nor Jew. Galatians 3.28. There is neither slave nor free, no male or female, Scythian, Sudanese, Egyptian or Italian, American, Puerto Rican, Tongan, South African, English, Indian, Sri Lankan, whatever you are. All of those things at the cross are neutralized. Now, let me just say this. Those things are true of us. And we're not called to deny them. In fact... We're not not called to some kind of colorblindness. We're not called to to any other kind of pseudo-blindness. In fact, the scripture celebrates our diversity. It loves our diversity. It loves the fact that when we get together, we refract the glory of God in such a way that wouldn't be true if we were all the same. Our diversity should never be suppressed. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be represented in the new heavens and the new earth. But we are not, we are called to not derive our worth from those things. Our glory from those things. And now we gather from every nation under the sun and we all come from different socioeconomic situations. We come from different ethnicities, different social classes, quote unquote. We dress different. We talk different. We walk different. We eat different. We look different. I know I should have said like differently after everyone. Some of you are judging. But none, it's none of these things that bind us together as the people of God, right? The very mechanism that these evil rulers and authorities in the heavenlies used to keep humanity apart is now turned upside down, inside out, and is displayed as the wisdom of God. How amazing is he that the very things that these evil rulers and authorities would use to separate us. Those are the very things that the cross came to demolish, to neutralize, and so that we can actually be together as very different people and not feel like we need to be like one another. And it's this church, this, this, this frail but beautiful church, it's here that it becomes a reality because it's the sheer existence of the church, the fact that it even exists, the fact that this is even possible, that it's a sign proclaiming the victory of God over the powers. The church is a sign of hope. Used together, used together are a walking, living, breathing signpost of the victory of God. What else do you need? To get out of bed in the morning. I know, listen, I know it's hard. 
I know it's hard. But, but imagine if, if, if this was so true for us that it became like on us, like a, our fingerprints are on us. That this, this is who we are. And what does this all mean? A couple things. One is that we are the church. We are the church, which means this, that we don't go to church. We are the church. We gather as the church, but we don't go to a place, to a building called church. If you've been around here for any length of time, you would have heard us say over and over again that the church is not a building, the church is a people. We are the new temple of God. We are the new temple of Yahweh. And yes, we gather regularly in buildings and in homes, cafes, parks, but we must remember that we don't cease to be the church when we walk down these steps. We remember the words of our Lord when he said, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there with them. Remember that we are the church together. Not only are we the church, but we value the church. It is so cool to love Jesus but hate the church. But not only are we called to be the church, but to value the church. I'm not denying all those things that have led us to that posture. I'm not denying all of the atrocities of the church. But we begin to see that in this normality, as you look around you of having different people with different preferences in one place on mission together, we, be, we begin to see, we begin to appreciate this ap uh, apocalyptic perspective that we value, that we are being called to be, uh, like we, you here, uh, whether you call yourself a Christian or, or not yet, or whether you're, you're trying to still figure that out, you're being called to the greatest renovation project in the universe. You're being called to partner with God in making the world beautiful again, in pushing back the darkness, in pushing back the chaos for, in our own lives, but also in our communities. We begin to see and experience the privilege it is to be called by God and brought into his family. I'm not, I'm not sitting up here begging you to become a part of this church. I'm inviting you to be part of what God is doing. Like this, it is a privilege that I get to be, it is a privilege that we get to be called, that we get to do this. And so we don't just use the church for our own ends, our own psychological well-being, although that may happen. We begin to understand that we are an integral part of the way God is seeking to bless the world through a local community of people committed to the way of Jesus. Not only are we the church, not only do we value the church, but we commit to a church, to the church. And this may be the hardest thing for us to do in our age. Commit to one local place that's not perfect, nor will it ever be. That may not be as cool as you want it to be. That may not be everything that we all want it to be. That we would traverse the highs and the lows, commit to not just pointing out the flaws, but joining to make it better. And that's why when anyone decides to make this place their spiritual home, we commit to a common life together. We commit to several things together. These, these are the things that we commit to when we join this particular place. One, we commit to prayer. We commit to praying that God's kingdom would continue to break through in our lives individually as well as our life corporately. 
We commit to growth. We commit to partnering with the Spirit to see our lives being conformed to the Scriptures by the love of Jesus. We commit to gather together. We commit to meeting regularly on Sundays and in our gospel communities and throughout the week and in our gospel triplets. We commit to give. We commit to give back to God what he has entrusted to us, our time, our money, our service. And we commit to go. We commit to living a life uh, on mission for the glory of God. We commit to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. These are our commitments. And if this is you here and you are wondering whether or not this is the place you want to be, that is what we are calling you to. That is who we want to be, to pray, to grow, to gather, to give, and to go. This is what it means in part to be part of this particular body of Christ. This is what it means to posture ourselves so that the powers, the rulers, the authorities would be shamed because that's exactly what has happened on the cross. Even as our existence together is a picture and a model of hope, we wait for the fullness of this hope to be realized at his return. We wait for him. We're waiting for someone. I remember as a kid, there was a big theme uh, in the way that I grew up, uh, in, in the particular um, uh, tra- church tradition that I grew up in, of, of the imminent return of the Lord. Like Jesus, he might be coming back like now. And any sort of loud sound, I'm like, I'm ready. Right? Like, and so I remember as a kid, um, we lived on the sixth floor, uh, of a building, and um, there was a, a closet just by the window, and there was this one window in the corner of the building that you could see for miles, and I remember in the closet, I used to have a little bag packed, and, you know, little, you know, little, little undies, little pajamas, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, because uh, you never know, he may, he may come back, and so I was always ready, I would, I would, I would just sit there looking, you know, apartment 6F and just looking for Jesus. And I wonder what it looks like for us to do, to do that, to, to, to pack our bags in. It's not that we're going anywhere. God's going to renew this, this world. My theology has, has gotten better. <laughs> but he's coming, he's, and he can, he, he's coming back when we least expect it. Maybe now. But what does it look like to posture our lives for the return of Jesus? That he would come back and renew this world and that everything will be made right. Do you yearn for that? Do you yearn for the day where there will be no more war or or rumors of war even, where there will be no more sickness and no more death and no more alienation and no more disease and no more stillbirths and everything evil and no more kidnappings and, 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 and and just the exploitation of our world, the slavery that is still very, there are more slaves today in our world than there were during this transatlantic slave trade. That God would come and use us even now to begin to end this and one day that he would come and end it. I wait for that. And so don't lose heart, anger. God is doing amazing things in our midst, quiet things. Do not despise the day of small things. Don't forget that he not only comes in an earthquake, but he comes in silence, in the slowness, in the stillness. God is doing amazing things in our midst as he displays his manifold wisdom through us, even and maybe especially through our weakness.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you, in fact, are good, that that is the truest thing in the universe. Jesus, that you would be so kind to give us an apocalypse, Holy Spirit, an unveiling of our minds and hearts to see you as you truly are. That you would give us a vision, the vision that you gave even uh, uh, John of eyes blazing fire, feet like bronze, voice like the roar of many waters. And for others of us, we need you holding us like a gentle shepherd and a lost sheep. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be drawing near now. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.